What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Hello and welcome to 80s Movie Montage. This is Derek. And this is Anna. And this week we're doing something a little bit different. We're actually going to be talking about a documentary <laughs> that follows a rock band from the UK, right? I mean, so interesting yeah. to see how their lives you know, unfold as they go on this tour. I found it fascinating. Super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In other words, this is Spinal Tap. I mean, it's so good. Um, I, I am. I mean, we were talking about it last night when we were watching the movie, how many people may have initially thought that this was like a legitimate documentary. I don't understand how that's possible, but I, I find it hilarious. It's, I mean, it's so funny. Uh, you know, I had mentioned, and again, all these things that I find online, I take with a grain of salt, but that like the first time Ozzy Osbourne watched it, he didn't <laughs> laugh at all because he just thought it was like a straight documentary about what that world was like. I mean, you've mentioned before that you take uh, these things that you find online with a grain of salt, and I just choose to believe everything <laughs> that I read online, and it's worked out pretty well so far. <laughs> Well, that's a that's a spinoff of a line from like in the closing <laughs> credits where he's like, I believe everything I read, which exactly. I find makes me a more selective person than people who don't believe anything. I mean, it's just uh, this movie's so quotable. Um, so, OK, let's jump in. So 1984. Yeah. Uh, although, you know, they several times in the movie reference 82. So it's pretty clear that that's like probably when they were actually filming it yeah that makes sense so but uh released in 1984 and this this film has at the forefront just four comedic geniuses to me uh you know i'm starting off with the gentleman who have credits for writing this movie which this is it is a really different movie than what we've done before because it is not a straight documentary, so it's not that. It's a mockumentary, which I feel like this kind of ushered in mockumentaries. And, of course, Christopher Guest has gone on to just be the master of them. Yeah. Uh, but these guys, you know, they have writing credits for this, but it's very well known that a lot of this was just, like, ad-libbed. It's not like there was, like, a script that they were reading. It had to line have been. For line. Yeah. There, there are so many times watching this where... I just couldn't actually imagine someone writing <laughs> what I what right, I heard. Right. Like someone just made this up on the spot, which I don't know which is more impressive, but it just has a feel of, of people just kind of like riffing off each other. I mean, I love it. I absolutely that's part of the reason why I just adore the film so much. I'm such in awe of their skill in terms of being able to do this. Also, I read that because I mean, not just them, not just and the, I keep saying these four guys, the four guys I'm talking about are Christopher Guest, Michael McKeon, Harry Shearer, and Rob Reiner. I think are, most oh. people probably remember Christopher Guest as being the uh, real straight-laced doctor from A Few Good Men. That's where It's a people, really yeah. interesting cameo in that movie. I was like, <laughs> what are you doing? But, I mean, that's another Rob Reiner movie. Yeah. So, you know, they obviously have a, have a friendship. Uh, but, yeah, so it's these four guys that I'm referencing, but apparently because so much of the movie, just in general, was ad-libbed, like, they brought in 
you know, other actors who kind of just like played off of them. And so when they brought it to the WGA for writing credits, they're like, we really want all these people to be credited. And the WGA was like, no, oh, no, you guys, you four are getting credited. We're not giving any more credits. But apparently there must be some wiggle room with that, because I know that like notoriously this year, the newest uh, Borat oh, yeah. uh, film has like 10 people credited as huh. the writers That's on the film. So it was up for best uh, I want to say like adapted. It was adapted screenplay because they have to put it in that category because of the original movie. So it's like adapted from the original movie. That's interesting. So yeah, I learned that only through a different podcast that I listened to. So would Aliens have been eligible as being adapted from Alien? I guess so. Huh. Yeah. Weird. In any case, uh, getting back to Spinal Tap. So yes. We have four gentlemen credited with writing this film. Christopher Guest, we've already mentioned, and it's been a minute, but we did cover him last year for The Princess Bride. Yes. Uh, but because it has been a while, I'm going to go. And also, he didn't have a writing credit on that movie. So I'm going to kind of go over some. And I try to be specific because, again, these are names that are going to come up multiple times in multiple roles. So I'm trying to separate, trying to separate out what they did for one role versus what they did for another. So, All right. guest. Uh, and you're going to start to see probably the reason why a lot of these guys are so good at, like, riffing and improv. So, one of his writing credits, Saturday Night Live. Okay. TV series. So, I mean, I know that that's not necessarily improv, but just, like, you have to write quickly. You have to be on your feet. Yeah, you there's know? a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah. Kind of stuff. And uh, we have the big picture. And then we start getting into really like what I was referencing just a a minute ago about his I don't know how to explain it like his masterful series of films that are all mockumentaries yeah uh Waiting for Guffman Best in Show which is probably my personal favorite yeah well it's a it's a dog show thing right and I love my dog shows Uh, Mighty Wind, Mm -hmm. for your consideration, he wrote for a TV series called Family Tree, and then most recently, Mascots, which is another uh, mockumentary. So then we move to Michael McKeon. So probably most people, I mean, they might also, they have, these guys have all these collaborations, so they've all been in each other's projects. But I... My first memories of him are Laverne and Shirley. Yes, of course. Uh, he's Lenny, right? He's yes. not Swiggy. Correct. Yeah. And we know him in front of the camera for that show, but he does have some writing credits for Laverne and Shirley. So he's he, on the Food Network most recently, right? Yes. That's what maybe a younger generation might know him from if the younger generation watches the Food Network. Yeah. Uh, he's on, what is it? It's like the history of food. I think it's like he's, a history. He's been in so many things that the entire time I've been just scrolling, trying to find. Oh yeah, what no. it was. Well, uh, yeah, he has like crazy credits. Anyway, um, and then also he, as well as guest, has a writing credit on the big picture. Okay, moving on to Harry Shearer. Uh, he wrote on an Amer or on a TV series called America Two, as in the number two night. Oh, okay. Don't know America Tonight. Anything about it, but he wrote on it. He wrote the movie Real Life. Again, not familiar. I mean, most of these guys, like, <laughs> it, they have writing credits, but 
you know, we all know them more so as like performers and entertainers. Sure. Uh, he also wrote on Saturday Night Live, and then he wrote on the TV series Nixon's The One. So that's Harry Shearer. And one episode of The Simpsons. Oh, we're going to get to The Simpsons. Yeah. 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 Don't worry. I'm not, I am not flying by The Simpsons. We'll, we'll definitely get to that. And then finally, the last writer on this is Rob Reiner. Mm-hmm. So uh, he has probably the, well, I mean, I always kind of just grab a couple for everybody, um, depending on how many they have. But I guess as far as like a writer goes, maybe he has the most traditional type of writing credits um he wrote for the smothers brothers comedy hour he wrote for all in the family the show in which he also was a co-star meathead meathead yeah he wrote the movie flipped but i so i just picked like three but he has like a ton of just like kind of one-off tv writing credits he has a lot of tv credits Hmm. so you know he does have a pretty solid background in oh yeah in tv writing so okay but moving on to him as a director, which, you know, I think it's kind of a toss-up at this point. Like, do you identify him more as an actor or more as a director? I I think of him a little bit more as a director now, yeah. I, I think, yeah. Like, I, I know of his prior acting, mm-hmm. but the things that I most enjoy from him are things that he's probably directed in more than acted. I think it's kind of surprising how under the radar he is as a director especially in the 80s i mean i don't think people like instinctively connect him and a few good men or him and misery right you know so there are there are things that he's directed where i i had no idea he definitely is not like a genre director he is across the board with the different projects he picks up but seriously like his 80s directing career is ridiculous i'm not even like paring down the things that he did in the 80s to like weed out the junk like these are just there's straight not much up, junk there's not much <laughs> junk so spinal tap was like his first feature film that mm-hmm. he directed and then he goes on to do the sure thing stand by me amazing movie that we will definitely we, cover for sure yeah the princess bride which we already did yep last year when harry met sally which is coming up never heard of it just kidding. <laughs> like you mentioned, then we have Misery, A Few Good Men. And then, I mean, that's probably maybe his golden era of directing, like where just literally everything he touched was a hit. Yeah. Uh, but that's not to say that what he's done since hasn't been, you know, quality work. But I we mean, have yeah. North, The American President. I know a lot of people yeah, like that movie. Yeah. American President, Ghost of Mississippi, The Story of Us, Rumor Has It, The Bucket List, LBJ, Shock and Awe. So, and he's, he's, I mean, still, still very much going, you know, like still doing his thing. So yeah, he is an incredible director that I don't think gets as much credit as he should for being an incredible director. Just my opinion. I don't know if he cares or or wants it. Sure, sure. Like I get the sense that he's just happy being able to to make the put these things out there that people enjoy. He seems to be a pretty chill guy. Yeah. I don't pretty, know. I don't he? know. Him. I mean I mean he uh he's very active on social media. Is he? Uh yeah. Okay. And uh you know has a voice that he uses and I appreciate that. Okay, moving on to cinematography. So this is an interesting fellow. Peter Smokler. I want to huh. say it's Smokler. Okay. Smokler? 
I like Smokler. That sounds yeah. I think it's Smokler. The reason why he's an interesting fellow is because this him doing a movie is like not really his normal thing. He works way more in TV. Well, that's perfect because this was not a normal thing. That's true. That's true. So among some of his credits, a lot of credits working today. So we have Pee Wee's Playhouse. I'll, so most of these, I'll, I'll make the exception, like I'll note it when it's a film, but everything else is TV. So Pee-wee's Playhouse, the new Leave it to Beaver, oh, does have a film credit for Problem Child 2. Okay. Then we go back to TV. Flesh and Blood, Love and Marriage, The Larry Sanders Show. Great show. Sports Night, The, Drew, the Drew Carey Show, George Lopez, Parks and Recreation. Okay. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, my God. That's why I recognize his name, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> just, you know, has his has his hand in the TV world, like, a lot. Not not too much a film guy. But... Director of photography for 102 episodes. Yeah. No, a ton of work. Yeah. So, very active. So, this is interesting because... Because of the nature of the film, um, it's it's a mockumentary, but it's not just a faux documentary. It's a faux documentary about musicians, and I think part of the reason why this film is so successful is because they're doing their own musical work. Are like, we moving on to the music now? Yes, yes, okay. we are. Now, the music is credited to Christopher Guest, <laughs> Michael McKeon, Rob Reiner, and Harry Shearer. As it should be. As it should be, for sure. I mean, I'm super impressed whenever I watch this movie because I'm like, man, they're really doing it. Like, this isn't like like doubles coming in to, to do the work. Certainly not. Certainly yeah. not. But I made a choice because I'm like, look, I, I get it. These guys wear a lot of hats. They are talented in many, many different regards, but I'm not going to really go down the rabbit hole of all of their different music credits because it's not really, really their thing. They're all going to be kind of related to either This yes. Is Final Tap or there have been like reunions right. and like there's another video, I think Break Like the Wind yeah. is the name of the video. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess... I would guess that they're all going to be tied to things like that. Yeah, if you want to go down a rabbit hole about like what these guys have done musically, go for it. But you'll I just... find uh, you'll find videos of them with Tenacious D. Yeah, yeah, as you showed me last night. I did. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, in case anybody was wondering, like this is legitimate. You know, these guys again, crazy talented and doing their own music. I mean, it's really, really interesting. Yeah, the, I mean, you have the a look on your face, well, the, contemplating the, the vocals. Definitely was obviously them. the The instruments, I didn't know. Like, I'm impressed that they that they were playing their own mm -hmm. instruments. Mm -hmm. I mean, i I haven't seen anything to the contrary. Okay, I want to believe. So if if there is something out there that's like, no, 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 these guys were being fronted by you know other musicians we just aren't seeing because i when i watched it the first thing that i thought was that they're they're singing they're probably like maybe lip syncing to like the track just for for purposes of like their their performances and then they're just like hacking away at the guitars and drums and stuff so there, i i didn't really look to see if anything matched up but i just assumed. i mean it would have to be like a really great secret because they've gone on tour yeah so it's so. probably legitimate <laughs> so also I got. I also get the sense that they're like 
that's a lot of extra work. Just learn how to fucking play. Sure, sure. <laughs> Just exactly, figure out how to play. Exactly. Okay. So moving on to our editors, of which there are two. So we have uh, first individual Kent Beta. Okay. Is the way I'm going to pronounce that. Uh, kind of surprised I didn't know this name. I mean, has a lot of really interesting credits. We have, I, I had to put this one down because it's just fun. You know, I like the fun titles. Mm-hmm. Saturday the 14th. <laughs> I've seen that. You, yeah. You've seen the movie? Yeah. What's it about? I can't remember. Okay. Is it, <laughs> is it anything of a horror but movie? But I think it's like a, uh, I think it's like a comedy horror movie. Okay. Yeah. I is. like that. Yeah. I like that. But I, I, yeah, that clicked. As soon as you read the title, I'm like, oh yeah. I was a, like, I want to see that. Yeah. I want to see what that is. We should. Get Crazy. One that is beloved fright night oh yeah that movie's amazing inner space love it gremlins to the new batch i like gremlins i mean i know a couple of people who like prefer this the sequel it's got the uh rambo scene with okay. uh gizmo so that's okay. fun okay yeah mr saturday night the flintstones mm. the flintstones and viva rock vegas jingle all the way big mama's house so definitely a genre that they edit in uh big mama's house scooby-doo as well as scooby-doo 2 monsters unleashed and angry birds movie 2 don't forget jonah hex my apologies no worries that's a little probably outside of the genre so you just i wanted to break hole. that genre. yeah poked a hole in my thing. <laughs> um in any case yeah so we, that is beta and then we have kim secret yeah Okay. Yeah, let's go with that. Okay, cool. So, yes, they have an editing credit on this, and they have a couple others. Um, They edited on Teen Wolf 2, T-O-O, the TV series Tour of Duty. But if you look at their credits, and now this makes all the sense in the world because of this type of movie, they're more of a sound editor. Uh, So they they brought in the, uh, the Viva Rock Vegas for the editing. Right. And then they brought someone in separately or to to help with the sound editing. Exactly. So, I mean, they're credited as an editor, but I totally get it why they're like, okay, we need somebody who has more of a sound uh, expertise. And they have a ton of sound editing. Oh, my goodness. So many. Between sound and like sound effects. Yeah. Um, And some of the, I just thought due diligence, I'll rattle some of those off. So as far as like sound editor or sound effects editor, Betsy's Wedding, Jennifer 8, Crimson Tide, Batman Forever, as well as Batman and Robin, The Fast and the Furious, and Collateral. So hugely successful career, just not so much in traditional editing. Okay, well, let's get to the stars, which are the people we've already talked about. (laughs) All right, perfect. (laughs) There you go. I mean, again, this is becoming, you know, very... um, very much routine to kind of like cover a film where some of the, especially comedies, especially comedies. I mean, that was the case with Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, where we were seeing Carl Reiner and Steve Martin pop up and all of these different kinds of roles associated yeah. with the film. And so that's just the case again here. Uh, so starring Rob Reiner, who plays the director of the, what he, in that world is a real documentary. Mm-hmm. Marty DeBergi. Always wearing that, like, submarine Yes, hat. which has a cameo in... Oh, yeah, uh, The Princess Pride. Yeah. 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 So, 
as far as Reiner's acting credits, now this is somebody who's like been in the business literally his whole life because his dad was Carl Reiner. So he that did not showed, hurt. No, did not hurt at all. So he's been in the business for a while. I did have to like significantly cull down uh, his credits, but among some of them, again, love this title. Needed to give it a shout out. A movie called "How Come Nobody's on Our Side." <laughs> I'm just really like that. I'm like, what is that movie about? Oh my gosh! But isn't that a great title? The jokes for that title just write themselves. Come nobody's but on I'm not our gonna, side. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. He was in the TV series Free Country. Probably, we've already talked about it. What most people know him from is being Meathead and All in the Family, usually successful and acclaimed TV series. Does a ton of film work as well. I think he kind of, you know, as as a lot of people did, especially in the 80s, he like kind of stepped away from TV, got into film, even as he was directing film. So he's in... Throw Mama from the Train, Postcards from the Edge. Love him in Sleepless in Seattle. Mm -hmm. He has a great bit role. He's really good in it. Bullets over Broadway, Mixed Nuts, Primary Colors, The Story of Us, The Wolf of Wall Street. And then more recently, he is back in TV, or was, because the show is no longer on the air, but he plays uh, Just Day's dad in New Girl. Oh. So, yeah. So, Okay. That's Rob Reiner moving on to... No, you you already alluded to this. Michael McKeon, he plays David St. Hubbins, the patron saint of quality footwear. Yeah. So good. <laughs> and McKeon, boy, he he likes to hustle. He likes to work. He has currently 239 acting credits wow. on IMDb. So still going, too. I brought this one in because I just know how much you love this movie. He's in 1941. <laughs> Had to bring that up. Amazing. Throwback to the last episode. And then, as we said, probably a lot of people know him as Lenny from Laverne and Shirley. But uh, he, he kind of goes back and forth. He doesn't, he's not selective. You want me for TV? Sure. You want me for a movie? Sure. So he has been in Clue. Uh, he has a really great little. Ca- he's great in Clue, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, he has a small bit but memorable role in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? He's the, um, after that car just gets wrecked, he's the police officer. Oh, that's or right. Or state, state trooper. Yeah, who that pulls stops them, them yeah. when, like, there's nothing left. They're right. just driving a it's shell. It's just nothing, yeah. yeah. Uh, he was in the TV series Grand, movie Man Trouble. Uh, I didn't realize this. He did different voices for the TV series Dinosaurs. Interesting. Oh, yeah. that, uh, like the... Very strange. Very yes. kind of, yes. yeah. That, I know some yeah. people have a real, real love for that. I think it has a little bit of a cult following. But TV series Dream On, he was on Saturday Night Live for mm-hmm. a period of time. He was on Tracy Takes On. Tracy mm-hmm. Ullman? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. He was in the movie Mystery Alaska. And then he reunites uh, with Gust. He's in Best in Show. I threw this one in because I was like, oh, because this is a little bit outside of his usual work. He was... Uh, for a stint on the TV show The X-Files. Okay. So, a little bit different. I'm assuming I didn't watch The X-Files. It, it looks like he also did a, a couple voices, or a voice for a couple episodes of uh, Thundercats. Oh. But this is uh, from 2012, so uh, not the, the new Thundercats. Not I, the old, I yeah. didn't really like even the old Thundercats. Anyway. Well. 
Uh, it cam- comes back from Mighty Wind, so another guest production. He was on the TV show Primetime Click, comes back for another guest production for your consideration. And then uh, I haven't the slightest what kind of role he plays in this show, but I'm assuming, again, it's maybe not comedic because he's in the show Better Call Saul. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I watched all of Breaking Bad. I have not seen a single episode of Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. I apologize. So I don't, I don't know. It's okay. Like, there's a lot out there. I don't really know if, like, how many comedic elements there are in that show. There might be some. Dark humor, maybe. There, yeah. Yeah. And then I, <laughs> this is the kind of show I watch. I know him from Grace and Frankie. <laughs> Most recently. So, okay. Christopher Guest. Sir Christopher Guest. He plays Nigel Tufnell. Just my favorite. I, love, I mean, there's. it's hard to pick a favorite in this movie, but he just... He just makes me laugh even when he's, like, not doing anything. He's literally the look on his face can make me laugh. Yeah, I'm constantly wondering, like, is this guy, like, a genius or is there just nothing going on? Oh, no, he's a genius. And, well, I mean his character. Oh, the character. Yeah, no, he... There's nothing going on. There's no... There's no doubt in my mind that like, he is a genius. When, uh, when I know it's not her character, but Fran Josh was like, you, you don't talk so much. <laughs> just so good was he the one that responded when there were comments about the sexist album yes, cover and yes. cover and he his response like, was wrong with being sexy yeah <laughs> so good oh so he's good. a musical genius in this uh movie yes and that is again it's like this film actually has layers to it where you're like no he's actually really talented as a musician even in that one segment when they're like in a food court or something yeah. and Marty is asking them like, what was your very first collaboration? And they start doing this oh. like, and I'm like, and that's just them acapella. I'm sure that that was maybe somewhat, you know, rehearsed. They I want to believe the that fly, they just, but, they just made it up. I just want to believe that. I'm like, they're really actually good. Like they're good musicians. And even their earlier work where I feel like you're when they were like doing flashbacks to mm, yeah. them in the 60s. I feel like that was maybe a little bit of a riff off of the Beatles, at, you know, later Definitely. in their career. Yeah. yeah. But I'm like, they were good musicians. Anyway, enough with that whole tangent. Okay. <laughs> so, Christopher Guest, as far as his acting work goes, um, I put this one in because I thought this was very interesting. He actually had a guest spot on All in the Family. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, that is interesting. Not sure if maybe, possibly, that's how he and Reiner started thinking about collaborating. Hmm. Who knows? He also was on Saturday Night Live. Uh, We just mentioned a couple minutes ago, we know him and covered him for The Princess Bride. Mm -hmm. You just mentioned, maybe a few minutes prior, that he had that very interesting cameo. Dr. Stone. In A Few Good Men. (laughs) Serious as a heart attack in that movie. No joking whatsoever. Yeah, he he appeared very sedated. Very. Like, I, I'm just curious. Like, was it that he was supposed to have that cameo all along? Did somebody else drop out? And Reiner's like, hey, can I grab you for a day to do this? Like, I, I don't know how that came about because it's so... As far as what I know of his work and what I love him as so far outside his normal wheelhouse. Yeah. Maybe he just wanted to do, maybe he's like, I know I I can't carry a film as a serious actor, but I'd like to, you know. Didn't they ask him like, wasn't Tom Cruise or somebody's asking him like, wasn't it possible that you've made a mistake or isn't it possible that this could have happened? And his response was no. (laughs) 
he's he's good he's effective okay so then like i said then we get into all of his magnificent mockumentary work he's in waiting for guffman best in show a mighty wind for your consideration and mascots so christopher guest also probably maybe one of my favorite hollywood couples because i adore him and i also adore his wife do you know who his wife is i don't jamie lee curtis Okay, well then, yes, I do. Right? Aren't they just, like, awesome? That's amazing. They're so awesome. Like, I don't know them. I really have nothing to base this (laughs) on. But I just am like, oh, I love them independently, and so I love them together. Okay. They've done nothing to make me think that they're not awesome. And that's exactly. that's really where the that's, bar is. Yeah, that's yeah. That's all you have to do is just not do things to make me think, yeah. oh, you suck. They just seem totally, totally cool. So relationship goals. Okay. Harry Shearer, who plays your namesake. Oh, Mr. Smalls. Derek Smalls. <laughs> uh, God, is he just so good in this. You know, definitely has the not as flashy role as either Michael McKeon or Christopher Guest, but is so effective, so funny. His his freaking chops. It just oh, is like man. his look reminded his me look. so much of one of the dwarves from The Hobbit. Yeah. It was it was crazy. He's just so good. Okay. So another actor who has been in you He's know been this in a world for most of his life. So his I wanted to put this one in. His very first credit, which was uncredited he is boy in 1953's abbott and costello go to mars you know i've seen a lot of those i've not seen them go to mars i've seen they meet frankenstein i think Mm -hmm, and they definitely mm -hmm. meet the wolfman Mm -hmm. but i didn't i've never seen them go to mars interesting never was a series of films that i like got into but i'd be open to it but yeah so even as a child child oh, actor yeah. no they, it was just on like i wasn't uh i was not chasing these movies down they oh would just gotcha be on gotcha in the dark days that we've talked about many times <laughs> turn on the movie okay it's i like, guess, this, guess is what I, this is what i'm watching yeah i thought this was also interesting and we are definitely going back to this to pick him out so he has another uncredited credit as a beachgoer in jaws i mean it's going to be a painstaking process. And by that, We're I mean, do it. I'm just going to Google it and find the timestamp and then verify it. I, I'm finding him in yeah. that movie. We're going to watch it. We're going to just... watch it. Probably tonight. <laughs> okay. Okay. He, again, another movie that just has a title, I must say. It's a movie that's called The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. Could not even begin to tell you what that could possibly be about. Who did he play in that? I don't know. Murray Sports. Okay. Got it. That's a very interesting... Everything about that is interesting to me. This, again, I was like, oh, this is fun. So all these overlaps of these actors working together prior to Spinal Tap. So he had a bit on Laverne Shirley. Mm. He was in the movie The Right Stuff. He also, again, all these these guys are Saturday Night Live performers. Uh, So he was on that. Not all necessarily at the same time. I don't know how much overlap there was. I could look at the dates of their participation in Saturday Night Live, but suffice it to say, they were all on the show. Um, this one is interesting. I don't know if you ever realized. I, I already knew this, but that he is the newsreel announcer in A League of Their Own. He has a great voice. I, I think I did know that. I think so. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. He does a ton of voice work and things where you're like, oh, I had no idea. I mean, even actually within Spinal Tap. So uh, the part where... Nigel and David, they're like talking about something in a hotel, like it's like a section of their hotel room. And then 
Derek comes in. He's like, hey, you guys got to listen to this like blast from the past. And he, you know, he brings them back in and they're yeah. listening to one of their older songs. So when that song concludes and the radio announcer is like, that's him, that's him <laughs> just without a British accent. So, Follow them in the where are they now? Exactly. Whatever I, happened I just to think them. that's so fun. And another time where he's probably one of the guys. Probably my absolute favorite scene. Well, there's so many with all of them. But like one of my favorite scenes with him is when they're going through airport security. Oh, yeah. Just even just the the amount of detail that they have in this film. So just the PA announcements that are being made that you're not even probably noticing at all Mm -hmm. while they're going through security. But you'd notice if they're if they weren't there. Because they're like, it's an airport. It's an airport. It's all of those guys. It's just all of them doing (laughs) PA announcements without like accents. My favorite uh, my favorite voice work that he did. It's because of whose voice he he provided, not the movie that it was in. He was the voice of Carl Sagan in My Stepmother is an Alien. Okay. I, st- I did not add that one, but I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah. Glad you brought that up. So he is in My Best Friend's Wedding. He's in the 98 Godzilla, not to be confused with the more recent. Is it the Matthew Broderick one? Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. He's in the Truman Show, Ed TV. He comes back again to be in Guests, A Mighty Wind, and For Your Consideration. He also, because I already mentioned this, he was on the TV series Nixon's The One. And then the Thousand Pound Gorilla here Mm. is his work with The Simpsons. So currently has been part of 730 episodes of the show. I mean, and this is just one project, one project of all these other projects that he's worked on over the course of his life. So he does a number of different voices. The most notable ones, he is Ned Flanders. He is Principal Skinner. He's Kent Brockman. He's Lenny. He's Dr. Hibbert, Mr. Burns, and Scratchy. Does Scratchy say anything? I think at some point he must. I, okay. I, I mean, okay. I don't know if I'm going to just, like, get major Look, backlash. There's, there's I'm not a big Simpsons person. Even if but, you were, there's so many episodes. It'd be... Yeah, I included all the names that even without being a avid fan, I knew these names. And yeah. so Itching Scratchy I knew, so yeah. I added Scratchy. Everyone knows Ned Flanders. Exactly. Famously exactly. a lefty. <laughs> just like us. Yeah. Okay, so moving on... Kind of finally, not to say that I can't gush over these guys all day, but moving on to other people who are in the movie, Um, namely Tony Hendra, who plays their manager, Ian Faith. So um, (laughs) this guy's amazing. He's so good. Mr. Hendra, he actually just very, very recently passed. He Uh, just passed on March 4th of this year. I remember when that that news broke. Uh, has such a memorable performance in this film, but didn't really do a ton of acting. He has in total twelve acting credits on IMDb. So what I loved about his acting in Spinal Tap was that he would respond to every negative situation with some crazy superlative. Like we're not going to be in Boston. A- absolutely, definitely. Like he, he would just like sh- shower them with all these like or long like, words. Boston, not so much a college town. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to. <laughs> New York's not the place to be. We want to go to Philly. Yeah. Philly is where. No, Philly, Philly. That's a rock and roll town. <laughs> absolutely, where we got to be. 
Um, and also, I just like, I liked his uh, ever optimistic. I mean, he also had his way of eluding blame for the things that were going wrong. Yeah. Like when, you know, the 18 inch Stonehenge and he's like, I did exactly what I was instructed to do. You know, <laughs> like just not taking any blame for it whatsoever. He's so good. He definitely holds his own with the rest of the group. So among some of his acting credits, he was in Jumping Jack Flash, Life with Mikey, The Real Blonde, The Movie Suits. I think most people think of that as a TV show. Mm. And then I had to include this. I had to. It was a TV series called Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Which I'm like, man, that, that kind of sounds like something I would want to watch. He played but... Pestilence. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that yeah. I'm thinking back to writing that so down. So in the yeah. context of Your Pretty Face Going to Hell, that, that was his Your Pretty Face job. is Going to Hell. <laughs> Love it. Okay. So moving on to David's girlfriend who uh rubs a lot of people the wrong way in this movie so had like a bit of a yoko ono yes i think that definitely was intentional um so the character name is janine pettibone but it she is played by june chadwick that was excellent pronunciation by the way was it of the pettibone oh thank you thank you i try sometimes i get real nervous about i I don't want to insult anybody by saying their name wrong because i know well that was just her fake name i don't like it that's true. Yeah. That's true. Good point. Excellent point. Okay. So now I don't know, you know, if she just said, okay, you know, I'm kind of done with the acting thing because she doesn't have a credit for the last 20 years, but she was working on other stuff. So she was in, and I kind of want to cover this because this sounds interesting. The last horror film, it's an 80s movie, so mm. we can do it. Okay. Don't know what it's about. Um, I feel like probably most people would know her from the original V television series i know that there was like a reboot of it a while back yeah but. i think there was that show was was freaking bizarre like uh oh aliens they're gonna save us oh no they're actually lizard men they were they're all a bunch of zuckerbergs no oh. come to kill us whoa shots fired is it not general knowledge that he's a lizard man <laughs> so she was on that she was on a different tv series called riptide she also was in jumping jack flash Headhunter, The Evil Below, TV show called Going to Extremes, and then her last credit is a film facing the enemy. Hmm. That's from 2001. All right. Okay, so for the third time in a row, we are covering a movie where there's all these cameos of people. Uh, I mean, it can't really beat the Blues Brothers, um, and it doesn't even beat... No, nothing can. No, I know. Your favorite movie. Um, and <laughs> it can't even really beat Dead Men because just there's, like, by the sheer number of... of I mean, a little bit of a different circumstance because we're talking about old clips. But in any case, lots of cameos in this movie. Among them, Howard Hessman, Bruno Kirby, Fran Drescher, Paul Schaefer, Angelica Houston. Yeah. that's a, That it's was a, a wild big one. one. Yeah. Big one. Fred Willard... Mm-hmm. Ed Bagley Jr., Dana Carvey, Billy Crystal, and Joyce Heiser. Although you don't really see her. You hear her. You hear her, I think, say hello. Do you know who that is? She's the main character and just one of the guys. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, lots of real fun cameos in this movie. I mean, some of them have more screen time than others. Bruno Kirby has a pretty fun role as the limo driver who gets rebuffed yes. yeah. <laughs> uh, by the band. The glass, so. the partition slowly Oh, such up. a great, such a great moment. 
Fran Drescher as, you know, a representative of the record company, kind of telling it to them straight about their uh, very offensive album cover. We have Paul Schaefer, who's kind of, um, I want to say... He's like a PR guy or something. Yeah. Of some kind, right? Was it when they were in Chicago or LA? Can't remember which. Mm. But um, so he has a little fun role. Howard Hessman is kind of like the too cool for you other band manager or musician manager. Yeah. He's from, I mean, people probably most most identify him with Head of the Class yeah. or WKRP in Cincinnati, but that's much older. Much older. Yeah. yeah. I remember him from Head of the Class. Um, Angelica Houston, so like we said, kind of a very random uh, cameo to have in the movie, but she has a fun little part where she was the person who put together that 18-inch Stonehenge and was very confused. Friend Drescher, I don't even know if it was as much of a cameo. I mean, she had a pretty... Yeah, she comes back a couple times. I think she has like three different scenes, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I kind of just grouped them all together. Because they're, yeah, they're not cameos, but they're kind of cameos. Yeah. And then, I mean, Fred Willard, he plays, like, the military man who... And then he goes on to also... Because he's been in a couple uh, I mean, Christopher Best Guest. show, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Ed Bagley Jr. doesn't even have... He's, like, he's in old footage. He's, like, their first drummer. yeah. Uh, so that's a fun little call out. And then Dana Carvey, Billy Crystal, they're, if you didn't, it, I mean, I could understand why people be like, wait, what? They're in this movie? You may not recognize them because they're mimes. They're yeah, the they, mimes. They're mimes. Mime is money. Mime is money. <laughs> as, as Billy Crystal says to uh, Dana Carvey. But yeah, that was, that was amazing. Like I couldn't recognize Dana Carvey, but as soon as you hear Billy Crystal's voice, you're right. like, oh yeah. Very, very identifiable. Okay, so moving on to synopsis. Ready? Uh, well, okay. okay. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Spinal Tap, one of England's loudest bands, is chronicled by film director Marty DeBergi on what proves to be a fateful tour. Yeah, that's accurate. I think so. What happens? They are they are UK's loudest band, as evidenced by it goes up to 11. Goes up to 11. You know what's funny is that I wrote down the synopsis before we revisited the film, and that did stand out to me. I was like, one of England's loudest bands. Like, that's a weird way to um, describe I, them. But then when he gives his first intro yeah. where he's just addressing the camera, yeah. that's how he re- refers to them. So I was like, oh, okay. I just had missed that on, like, previous viewings. But, okay. All checks out. I mean, it's great because it's not they're not trying to suggest that they're necessarily a good band, but they are the loudest. They are the loudest. Um so yeah, I mean, just a couple fun things before we get to our interview with Nancy and Dan Morrow. So uh, we've already kind of alluded to a couple things that we felt were um, either kind of like send-ups of stuff, like kind of the Yoko Ono type role or things like that. But then Nigel, like when he is rubbing the violin against his guitar, yeah, that is a parody. Of apparent, apparently Jimmy Page, so Led Zeppelin, uh, you are wearing Led Zeppelin shirt at this very moment as we were talking about this. I, I um, concur. I <laughs> Jimmy Page used to use a violin bow on his guitar. Interesting. During not all performances, but like he he did it. So I guess that was like kind of a little fun shout out to him. If you don't have amps to go up to 11, you need some kind of gimmick. So You need some kind of gimmick. I guess that's it. Uh, so calling out 
the the little clip that we used at the beginning of the show, you know, these go to 11. So I know I talk about IMDb all the time because where I source most of like the credits for people and information, that sort of thing. If you guys didn't already know this, go to the IMDb page for This is Spinal Tap. There is a rating system for every <laughs> single movie. Spinal Tap is the only one that goes yeah. to 11. That being said. Currently, they're sitting at a solid 7.9 out of 11. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though, is that I feel like in a weird way, it actually is um, gives a incorrect perception of the film because you're like, oh, what did you say? 7.9. But I guess the question is. Is that really a 7.9 out of 10, but they're yes, showing us? exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's actually higher ranked. We don't want to get all higher like rated, math say. nerdy on this right, or anything. Right. But hey. I think it's a really fun thing to have. Yeah. But if people don't get the joke, then... They're going to think this is one point worse. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But I just think that is so fun. I love that IMDb did that. I just like when people kind of honor and celebrate films in that way. So it's like its own little like Easter egg. That's it's... been referenced in like the the one that I can most like vividly remember is when Deadpool grabs a gun and he's trying to crank it up and he realizes the dial goes up to 11. It's it's And the reaction yeah. is just like Yeah. <gasps> it I mean I think that like that's almost maybe not like it's not something used in everyday language but it's like kind of a turn of phrase at this point you know you say it goes up to 11 like you kind of understand what people are meaning and and where it's referenced from so the the key art we watched it uh via hbo max and that's what it shows is like a dial going up to 11 yeah yeah it's it's fantastic big part of it uh and then lastly so apparently the when i say the guys i mean mckeon guest uh reiner and Cher. who so I'm just kidding. <laughs> they were given a chunk of money to write a script. And they were like, you know what? Instead of writing a script, because I think they all knew going into it that so much of it was going to be like ad-libbed, it couldn't really be represented faithfully by like a, you know, paper script at that time. Yeah. They instead made a demo film. So they kind of did like a proof of concept in a way. Hmm. Um, they made a 20-minute film that showed what what they were thinking of for the film and although i don't know i'd have to do a deeper dive to see what actually ended up in the film but some of those clips from the demo are actually in the finished film that's awesome so i thought that was really cool yeah so okay before we jump into our interview do do diligence so montage is there a montage in this yeah, I mean, it's real brief, but it's like right at the beginning where they are oh, basically yeah. setting up. Like you see the roadies getting the stage together, bringing in the like decorative elements. Yeah. You see the fans getting excited. They're talking to the camera as the, you know, the band members themselves are like traveling from place to place. So it kind of is just giving you a real quick snapshot of what this world is that we're about to enter into. Yeah. So, um, but it counts absolutely absolutely yeah all right so let's jump into our conversation with nancy and dan let's do it and so we are beyond thrilled to have with us today not one but two guests we have with us nancy and dan morrow who are the co-founders of the mcminnville short film festival up in oregon nancy and dan thank you so much for joining us today uh, thank you. Yes. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for having us. We're we're pretty stoked. I mean, we yeah. love this movie. Derek knows that I, in particular, love this movie. <laughs> and it's just, it is so fun. So we're pretty excited to just jump in. Um, as I typically do, 
I'm going to start off with if you remember, you know, first impressions of this movie, maybe um, where you were, what you were doing, just anything around that first experience that you remember and how you first interpreted the movie. And feel free, both of you, to jump in or one of you, whatever you like. Well, for me personally, I remember uh, a lot of the the movies we I um, follow on your podcast, I've seen firsthand in the theater, um, which gives away my age. But this one, um, not. For some reason, this one came across as a completely different movie than what it was. So I kind of avoided it. I didn't really understand it like probably many people did in 84. Um, and it took a while. It took Dan convincing me, no, let's give it a try. And now it's like one of our all-time favorites. It is just a go-to movie all the time. For That's for me, though. Yeah, we must have watched it together sometime in the early 90s, late 80s even, uh, on, on Probably video. Probably on VHS, yeah. yeah. But uh, for me, I was so excited knowing we were doing this podcast to go back and re-watch this movie again for probably the, what, the 10th time that we were going to watch it. Having having run a video store for over 15 years together, we watched thousands and thousands of movies over that time period, and this is still one of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah, this one made the cut of what we kept from our collection of the video store. Oh, and, oh yeah, and this cool. is a 1994 Criterion Collection DVD that we have, so it's it's got some fun things on it. 98, sorry, 98. But it has the it has the exclusive cheese rolling special feature, which I think. We had it rented out at the video store, and I looked it up on eBay like, oh, this DVD copy is worth over $300 on eBay. We should stop renting this one out. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I don't think you can get this one anymore because it's got all these bizarre special features they didn't include in later editions. But uh, Oh, that is so cool. That is such a bummer that they do that, that they withhold that from other, like, versions of the DVD. I mean, I think we just have like the normal one. I don't think we have anything that's like special about it. Well, but, yeah. And then to further complicate it, we just watched it on HBO Max. Yeah. And then we didn't even bother with the dusting off the DVD. <laughs> but I'm curious, um, Nancy, so you mentioned that, you know, before you actually got a chance to see it, that you were a little bit hesitant to do so. Do you remember if at the time, did you think that it was perhaps a legitimate doc? What what did you think maybe the film was? No, I'm, I'm not sure that I thought it was a legitimate documentary okay. as much as I just didn't really understand it. And um, it, it took me a while to start loving uh, British music in general, mm. let alone um, mm. rock music mm -hmm. and um, that Spinal Tap mocks and all that. I think it was just a matter of that it wasn't quite my taste um, and which... I mean, my tastes have changed tremendously in 30 some years, sure. but, um, yeah, I just think it was one of those that I just didn't understand more than anything. Mm -hmm. And now I just, I, I just start laughing to myself every time I even think about the movie and some of the lines. And it's one of our go-to quoted movies just that we do all the time. So, yeah. And Christopher Guest, just in general, oh. I mean, he is just brilliant. And, um, I think this was like the first movie that, I associated Michael McKean in mm -hmm. something other than Lenny from Laverne yes. and Shirley too, and realized, yeah. oh my gosh, he is totally um, a valid actor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm so glad, and I mean, I knew that at some point, you know, all these different really talented performers would come up, but Christopher Guest. I mean, I know that Rob Reiner as well. Obviously, part of this quad 
of individuals between right. guest McKeon, Shearer, and and then Reiner, who really were pushing the film. So I know that Reiner had a huge role in this, but really, since this film came out, it's been Christopher Guest who has really just like taken the ball and run with it for like all these different mockumentaries that he's gone on to do. Oh, absolutely. You know, I was um, trying to read up a little bit this week, knowing that we we're talking with you. I just wanted to kind of refresh some things. And it was really fascinating to read like how so many of these mockumentaries um, say they uh, it's in tribute to Spinal Tap, you know, like The Office and Parks and Rec mm. and just so many of them. And and it's also fun to go back and see this original mockumentary that Christopher Guest and Mark, Michael McKeon created, you know, and who started with them and then to see where they are through mascots today and mm-hmm. how many of their crew and cast are still with them and how much it's grown and all of that. So it's just, it's just fun to see. And would you guys say that you have like come to like, cause I know you're like at first, maybe that wasn't like my kind of film, but do you find those types of films that those types of comedies in particular funny, like the kind of deadpan, the absolutely. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Dan's sense of humor is such a dry sense of humor. So he connects with it. And because we've been together for so long, when I see that in a movie, I instantly connect with it too. And it's just, it's just brilliant comedy. It's smart. And I love the fact that they even talk about, um, you know, if you don't get this movie, we're pro- you're probably not our audience. You know? <laughs> yeah, there's no right answer when it comes to comedy, but this is the right answer. Totally agree. I mean, you guys are bringing up just so many great points and chief among them, you know, of course, my mind has immediately gone to all of the guest mockumentaries. It never really occurred to me that also all these TV shows. Yeah. And obviously The Office, both the British and U.S. version and Parks and Rec. And then the other show that I think of for mockumentaries, which is very different from those other ones, uh, the Trailer Park Boys. Oh, yeah. Which Are you is... guys familiar with the Trailer Park Boys? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, that is a go-to of Dan's now. I haven't quite connected with it as much as he Same. has. But, Same. oh, my gosh, Dan <laughs> loves that show. All the Ricky-isms are, are, you know, worth the price of admission with watching that show. Exactly. Especially when they had the members of Rush show up on one of the episodes. So I think that it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition because obviously this film has had such an impact but I don't know if in our personal lives like even Derek I mean is it fair to say that you weren't totally keyed in on this movie before we got together or yeah I mean there are some of the movies that we've covered are movies that that you know, we've grown up with some of them I have seen in the theater. Some of them, I don't know why or how my parents thought it was a good idea to bring me into a theater to see them. <laughs> but, but it's a very 80s thing. Yeah, th- <laughs> yeah. This is Spinal Tap is is one that I never saw when I was younger. I, I probably have only seen it for the first time relatively recently. And I think that that does have an impact because it's harder to appreciate the impact that it's had when you've already seen almost all of the things that it, that it led to the creation mm-hmm, of. Mm-hmm. So, if, you know, I'm, I'm watching it like, mm, it is funny. Like there's a lot that, I, that like cracks me up and, and I enjoy it. But after having watched all of the office and trailer mm-hmm. park boys and some of the other mockumentaries that have happened after 
it it's harder to have that same like first impression of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Nancy and Dan, I'm curious because you guys have a very interesting perspective as well. Because not only are you, you know, very much in the film world with the film festival, but also having had this like prior experience in terms of, you know, having your own video store. So you got to see what people were coming in and wanting to rent and wanting to watch. So do you feel like Spinal Tap gets the proper recognition or do you feel like it's still a little bit under the radar? No, absolutely. I think it was one of the ones that um, got lots of recognition. It was it was rented out quite a quite a lot, and okay. you know we owned the we ran the video store for fifteen plus years, so we actually got to see um, the people starting off younger, having kids, raising kids. We did we did it just long enough to see that, and you know you started seeing oh parents are starting to show their kids this film, and you know and just to give a little more background about us, um, we met at Oregon State and got married quite young. Um, But we had a fantastic film professor at Oregon State by the name of John Lewis. We took as many film studies classes from him. And this was back in the 80s when it it wasn't easy to get films. And we took so many film classes and it really curated our love of film and it just grew from there. And so um, for us, we just absorbed as many films as we could. And Derek, I think your point today is absolutely right. We didn't have the mockumentaries around us um, when we watched Spinal Tap, so we fell in love with it. But today there's so many mm-hmm. of it, what makes it stand out? And a friend of ours was just saying their daughter, who's in her late 20s, was saying, yeah, she started watching it. Eh, it's kind of boring. But I think you're right. It's because there's so many mockumentaries out there right now. But this is what started it all. And mm-hmm. that's yeah. what make this, makes this film so priceless. And if you can just step back and appreciate where it came from, and it's from 84 it's almost 40 years old it's insane yeah i definitely think that that adds to my appreciation of it when i think of the the history and the impact and the fact that these other series and and movies have had the opportunity to fine-tune that formula a Mm -hmm. little bit and and they kind of look at what worked what may not have worked as well and yeah yeah i think one of the things that surprised me most about it switching gears a little bit is how a mockumentary about a UK rock band is one of the more wholesome movies <laughs> that we've watched and talked about. Yes, that's something that comes up a lot uh, on the podcast is having to, you know, have a conversation around problematic elements and a lot of 80s films, um, yep. whether it's in language used, depictions, what have you. Uh, but Derek's right. I think this is actually one of the more wholesome. I mean, obviously, there are adult humor moments for sure. I mean, the airport security scene <laughs> is pretty amazing yep. in that regard. But there's still kind of this innocence and, like, and sincerity, endearing- to, yeah, sincerity yeah, to it. Oh, absolutely. Right. You know, you've got Nigel, who is just this adult child in oh. so many ways and he's just you know he's chewing his gum he's got right. his gumby and pokey shirt on which that was <laughs> something that we noticed after watching it to make sure we refreshed everything in our minds for talking with you but it's like we really noticed after the 10th viewing this time we took note of the gumby and pokey shirt and the gumby coming out of his pocket it's like he's just so childlike mm-hmm. right what's wrong with being sexy oh. yeah. <laughs> you sexist you idiot <laughs> I mean, like you guys are saying at the top of our conversation, I feel like almost every line in this movie is just yeah. a quote. And that is one of my favorites. I And, 
like you're saying, like there's this, and well, what's wrong with being sexy? No, sexist. I, I mean, it's, right. <laughs> he's constantly having to be, you know, have things explained to him. Um, but it makes him just that much more endearing. And I think it really is a credit to get, I mean, really across the board. Um, and I definitely want to get to, you know, the other main players in the film because don't want to overlook their contributions, but it's, it's hard to, to overestimate just how effective guest is in this movie and and just right. how much he brings to his role well and and that he brings to each of those subsequent movies that he does with all those characters like i don't i almost don't know what christopher guest would look like if he wasn't immersed in some character that he's playing mm -hmm. because you watch each of his other movies and you're like he is a completely different personality in each one yeah, I think he looks most physically like Doctor Stone in A Few Good Men. Yeah, have you? We personality-wise, that's not have him. you guys ever noticed yeah. that in um in A Few Good Men he plays this like super serious uh, doctor who goes on the stand. Had, do you guys remember that moment? Oh boy, you know? I'd have to go back and watch it again. But yeah, he actually looks somewhat like normal. normal. In that yeah, one. yeah. <laughs> and it's it. You know, Derek and I talk about just. For us, per, like on a very personal level, it's like a little jarring <laughs> to see well, him be in something so serious. He turns the deadpan that is hilarious in something like this is Spinal Tap somehow into something kind of sinister. Yeah. In yeah, a few yeah. yeah. Men. Which, you know, and again, I Dan, I totally agree with everything that you were saying about he how he immerses himself into these characters. And I, you know, I think that it is part of a larger conversation where you have these actors, like, I would say to, um, to a similar degree, I think like Edward Norton can, can achieve that. Um, right. I know Daniel Day-Lewis is a master of that. Um, and just really, you know, full, fully throwing themselves into a role where then you have other actors that have kind of achieved a certain celebrity maybe Tom Cruise, maybe Brad Pitt, where it's kind of hard sometimes to right. move past that when you're Absolutely. watching their performance. And, you know, with somebody like Christopher Guest, when you're married to someone like Jamie Lee Curtis, mm. she tends to get more of the spotlight because she's mm -hmm. in front of the camera. Guest is more often behind the camera than in front. And so, yeah, it's very hard to, to see him, you know, as the star performer. Absolutely. But he, I mean, again, just what a career, I mean, what an amazing kind of niche he found for himself. Yeah. Um, just, just, I, I'm such an awe of, of the, the scope of his career. Well, but, for all of them. And like you said, you know, let's talk about the others. Cause you know, sure. you've got Michael McKeon as well, but Harry Shearer, oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, he, he almost comes across as the father to Nigel and David, you know, mm -hmm. as he's puffing on his pipe and he's the <laughs> one who's, you know, the neutral one and stuff, but he's got that beard, but what a great scene where he can't get out of his, uh, oh. his egg or whatever that is. And he's trying to get out. <laughs> That just makes me laugh out loud nonstop every time I see it. It's just hysterical, you know. It's just his comic timing, comedian timing is just so good. I love that the rest of the band understands that they have to get through this song. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's no stopping. Sorry, pal. <laughs> no, I totally agree. I mean, I think um, because, you know, Derek and I were were chatting about this earlier, probably became, I don't know if I would call either role flashy per se, but the central relationship is between Nigel and David in the film. But right. Harry Shearer, I mean, he 
he absolutely holds his own among them. I mean, he also has had just this amazing career, um, has such an amazing voice, has done a ton, ton of voice work, namely, you know, The Simpsons. Principal Skinner. Principal Skinner. Um, and oh, so he he's had such a career. But yeah, Nancy, totally agree with you. I it, it's I think one of the reasons why I just gush about this movie is because it's it's kind of a um, you know, what do they call it? Uh not an excess of riches. Um, what are they? What's that saying? It's just an embarrassment, embarrassment of, riches. of riches. Thank yeah. you. It is, and it's it's only eighty two minutes long, I think, mm-hmm. and it is so tightly edited. There's no wasted time. Watching it again last night, I'm like, every scene is advancing the story, even when you don't think it is. Yeah. And they do such a good job. Uh, like Curb Your Enthusiasm is another thing that kind of follows from this, where mm-hmm. it's like, okay, everything's improv, but each scene is uh, has to advance the story in whatever way it, it does. And, and this movie really does a brilliant job of that. And I know Rob Reiner and the editor spent like a year getting it just right editing-wise. So uh, it, it, it holds up beautifully well. That makes a lot of sense. I can only imagine. I mean, you you did allude to the fact that you have a, a version where there's maybe been some deleted scenes, which would be so fun to see. But I could only imagine what they had to weed through um, in terms of and that takes that takes a lot of discipline and, uh, you know, yeah. creative savvy to say there might be plenty of scenes where they're like, oh, this just really cracks me up. Like, let's keep this in. But it maybe like to your point, Dan, doesn't further the story. And so right. you have to learn where you, you know. Like they say, like you have to like kill your darling sometimes. So spinal tap part one. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, and uh, they have to trust their their cast. You know, like Fran mm-hmm. Drescher, you look back and this was one of her first roles, if not her first role. And she was an unknown and she nailed it. They did not really expect her to nail it as much as she did coming in and doing so much improv. And they were so impressed with her. Um, and there's Dana Carvey and Billy Crystal mm-hmm. I mean Bruno Kirby, Angelica Houston. So many in this and they all just bring so much to it i didn't realize that this was one of fran drescher's first because watching it for me it almost felt like a cameo mm-hmm. a bit but i but yeah probably not it's it's totally i hear what you're saying where now we know her in her yeah. own right yeah right. And so, that was before anybody knew yeah who she was. yeah like, no, hey, the great, nanny is in great here. point exactly like great point at that at that time that just absolutely wasn't the case and yes nancy so many amazing i mean we kind of group together a lot of these actors we uh, under the title of cameo though some have just more substantial roles um drusher is one of them bruno kirby he has a great um you know great sequence uh love love the interaction between him and the bat i mean when they start rolling up the the window on him uh, yes uh just another (laughs) well and you were talking about the cutscenes. there is a cutscene on the dvd that we were watching last night and it's him as the chauffeur uh, meeting them at the airport with a sign and it says spinal pap <laughs> <laughs> the, and that is something uh I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that the film again does so well is there's more maybe explicit types of humor 
that that they chase after in the successfully so um, in the film. But then also there's these just little little details that maybe are never mentioned. Um, I think the sign is one of them. That's amazing. Uh, Derek, you mentioned a couple minutes ago, you know, when you have like the close up on their active case of herpes. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's so subtle too. I mean, that's just like the tiniest detail. And it was in the commentary. We're listening to them talk over the film and they point that out. It's like, I never picked that up. It just because <laughs> it's just so much is going on in this movie. You just always see something else. Absolutely, and uh, and I think that again, you know, between the four gentlemen who really headed up this production, just making that decision that this is going to be a real world, like you know, everybody's going to have a job in each scene, and right. I think that that really speaks to just like the depth of the storytelling. Yes, people think of it as kind of this lighthearted comedy, but it's, it's really quite a feat. And I'm curious, um, you know, I'm kind of stepping back to something that you guys mentioned earlier when you were talking about your film classes, I'm just out of curiosity, you know, I grab, I personally gravitate towards comedy, but I know that comedy doesn't sometimes get its due in terms of like a respected genre within film. How did that, um, John Lewis, I believe you said his name was like, how did he approach comedy and its place in cinema? It was a whole class. Um, Mm. that was the one class I took. We, we kind of, Dan took other classes and then I'd go to the movies with him and I took the comedy class and he'd come to the movies with, with me. And, um, it was a whole uh, term at Oregon state of just focusing on comedy and film. And Mm. it it went back to, um, films like bringing up baby. We, Mm. and Charlie Chaplin, um, we started off there and, Oh, I can't remember what we, ended with it would have been in the 80s um i can't remember what we ended with but it just kind of took its turn coming up through the decades um and spotlighting all the the comedy and how much of it is you know the same in movies the same Mm -hmm. formula Mm -hmm. but how it there's also a twist everybody every writer and as you know anna you have to as you write a film you have to give your own voice to it but every writer gives it their own voice too Mm -hmm. absolutely and Again, what is a little bit, a lot different maybe, um, in this film versus other kinds of comedies is the way that it is formulated upon improv and ad-libbing. I mean, I I feel like that's probably a pretty deep rabbit hole to go through, like how different writers and directors approach comedies and allowing their actors to ad-lib when there actually is a script in front of them to work off of. So this is a little bit different. Um, You know, Derek and I were mentioning, I don't know if you guys came across this information as well, that, you know, they were given a sum of money to create the script. And instead, what they did is that they created like a 20 minute demo. Yes. And and in fact, that 20 minute demo reel is on our Criterion edition. (gasps) And I haven't watched it yet because I got exhausted last night and fell asleep halfway through (laughs) rewatching the band's commentary. I'm like, Okay, I woke up this morning with all the Spinal Tap songs going through my head again, but uh, I I may watch that tonight, the 20-minute demo reel, just to see where they started with it. Oh, how special that you guys have that. Yeah, I'll have to um, get back in touch with you because what I read is that some of that footage made it into the final film. Right. So I'm curious what stuck uh, and and maybe what they adjusted along the way. Right. Um, I know some of the early flashback scenes where they, they show like, oh, here's them in the 60s as yeah. the 
Timsman or whatever, whoever they were playing on what looked like the Ed Sullivan show, like those clips were from that demo reel that they had done. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Interesting. That makes sense. Um, I'm sitting here realizing we haven't even touched on the music and their talent. And these guys wrote and played their own instruments. And we haven't even begun to touch this film is just for 82 minutes. There's just too much. Absolutely. And this is a perfect spot. Let's let's do it. Let's jump in. I mean, that as much as I am always in awe of talent that can kind of riff off each other and play off each other's humor and ad lib and all of that, the fact that yes, they they're doing they're literally doing it all in this movie. Um, I think it kind of goes back to the point made about, you know, making it as realistic as possible. I think that really, you know kind of creates this foundation for the humor. If you had people, you know, singing for them or playing the the music for them, I think that it would really deflate. It would lose the like the authenticity yeah. that that you need for it to be otherwise it wouldn't really feel like a documentary or a fake mm-hmm, documentary. It would mm-hmm. it would just be right. a movie. And the thing is is that it's I, I mean I'm not going to say I'm going to throw on a Spinal Tap album just at at any point, you know, feeling in the mood. But, like, it's good music, arguably. Like, it's catchy. It's the loudest in the UK. It's it's the loudest (laughs) loudest in the UK. But, um, yeah, I mean, what do you guys, with everything that we've kind of mentioned, when you're watching this film, I mean, do you find yourself looking forward to all the performance segments um oh, yeah. or, okay absolutely and i will confess that i even had the spinal tap album break like the wind that was released <laughs> yes. in the early <laughs> 90s 92 somewhere in there like i remember going to work when we lived in the seattle area and listening to that totally loving the humor at the time and just appreciating okay it's it's funny music but it's actually mm-hmm. good enough that it's you know keeps your attention and uh, has it has a nice and, hook to and dan it. just breaks out to he'll break out into a spinal tap song just randomly as we're going throughout <laughs> our day too. that's how much he loves it too and sometimes i have to stop and think wait what is it oh yes now i know what it's from okay never mind <laughs> yeah, we're, it's a fine line between being clever and being stupid <laughs> Well done. Well done. I mean, that that is something that I mean, look, I don't I don't have a musical bone in my body. Uh, Derek, Derek does. So he maybe has a little bit more of a I'm really impressed that they I mean, it almost seems not fair to have right that that much talent that that goes from not just the writing and acting, but being able to sing and, and play instruments. I mean, to the to the extent that they're able to to, to, you know, make an album, be part of the movie that is really impressive Mm -hmm. well and then they go on to do a mighty wind where they're going from the heavy metal british rock to Mm -hmm. folk music and they're all doing their own music there too i mean it's quite a diverse talent that they have it really is and i mean it kind of makes me wonder when they first came together and we're talking about like hey we should do a project together maybe we can do this like this kind of mockumentary it's something new something different they could have really gone in any direction they it didn't have to be about a UK band. It had to be. It I mean I mean I'm so glad it was, you know, <laughs> it was Kismet. But um but it could have been like as we were kind of talking about ultimately, you know, within the shows that it inspired, it could have been about people walking or working in a paper office. You know, like could have been about anything. 
And it and it would have been funny, arguably. I mean, these guys are also talented, but they made a decision to to go this route, which arguably would just make it that much more difficult on themselves to really pull it off in terms well, of being convincing musicians. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think it kind of stems back from what I was reading about where after Rob Reiner left All in the Family, he wanted to do um, a show called The TV Show. And his inspiration came from he wanted to be um, Wolfman Jack from oh. the old TV show from what, the 70s or 80s um, Midnight Special. And that was a music show. And so it kind of started from there. At least He wanted to do something with music, and they kind of ran with that. Um and I think they may have even had a segment on that test. Like maybe they just filmed a pilot or something. I don't think it ever became a show. But I, Michael McKeon had written an intro to this article we read about how he and Christopher Guest and uh, Rob Reiner did this. Basically, I think they did a little Spinal Tap segment for that show. That was sort of the okay, you know, kernel of where that all came from. And a few years later, they're writing this movie. I that that's so interesting. I didn't know that. And that yeah, I could see where that genesis now has has come from. Um, Still just blows my mind when I'm watching those musical segments. Again, you know, just being musically inclined is just a whole different skill set than than acting, um, even as impressive as all the ad libbing is. I, I'm enthralled when I'm watching them perform. Remy Malik got a lot of credit for being Freddie Mercury. <laughs> yeah. Val Kilmer was Jim Morrison. Well, but Jim Morrison uh, actually, well, yeah, we can get into a whole conversation, couldn't we? Um, we <laughs> Jim Morrison, I believe, or uh, Val Kilmer did sing. Yeah. In the movie. Right. I think Remy uh, Malik, I think there was a bit of a fusion. Yes. I, yeah. If I, I was just giving him, giving him credit for the teeth. Or the <laughs> but I mean, when you look at what Michael McKeon did, I mean, Give the guys some credit. That's uh, all of them. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. It, yeah, they, they wrote and sing these songs, which are catchy and hilarious at the same time. And then to go on, like Nancy was saying, if you watch a mighty wind after this and appreciate that, hey, here's the members of Spinal Tap, but now they're these funky folk singers who are mm-hmm. com- three completely other characters, and yet you're sort of looking at the members of Spinal Tap now as folk singers. It's that to me is just extra hilarious. And, and I will say we had that soundtrack playing at the video store along with other oh, soundtracks. Yes. So we heard that one a lot. We would play soundtracks, but well, it's also fun to um, kind of read about how other uh, rock bands and musicians love Spinal Tap. They say, yes, they've captured the essence. They love it. Um, and I was even reading where um, Edge from U2 he had a moment when he was trying to get out on stage for one of the songs and it all went wrong. And he said, I, in my mind was going through, I'm in the movie Spinal Tap. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm Derek Smalls yes. trapped in that plastic egg that won't open. You know. I mean, what you're making me think right now, I mean, I think maybe one of my earliest memories of this film is just remembering where the scene where they could not get to the stage. Oh yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and that was based on an actual band, and I can't think of whose band it was, but that is actually a true bit that they took and put in the movie. But I love that. I know they, they, they just struggled trying to get there. It's, again, so, I mean, so understated, but so effective. I mean, hilarious. And that is something that, yeah, I mean, I, 
again, you know, like a lot of the things that I pull off from the internet, try to take with a grain of salt. Indeed. If it's not, I know I, that is my go-to phrase. <laughs> um, it's like my disclaimer, but you know, I've also read that for instance, like, uh, now I've told Derek this a couple of times, but that when Ozzy Osbourne first watched this, he just was sitting through it and watching it as if it was a real doc. He thought it was a real documentary. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wasn't laughing because he was like, yep, this is just what this life is like. Right. And uh, I, I find that so interesting. I mean, for, for individuals who don't come from that world, you know, it makes me wonder like how, how were they able to so successfully tap into, you know, Nancy, you mentioned that they, you know, pulled that one scene from a real, real experience. You know, was it that they just were talking to a ton of people in the music world, getting their stories? I mean, they're so successful at, you know, apparently replicating what this life is like that it it kind of boggles my mind. I mean, have you have you read anything about how they sourced all of these different segments and and bits and pieces of the movie? Well, I, the one thing I was reading recently was that they will never admit what's really true and not true for the mm. bulk of the film. They'll they'll tease with a couple of the things they, you know, like the getting lost in the trying to find the stage, but for the most part they said they'll never reveal and Things hmm. happened the year the movie came out in 84 that bands are saying, oh, that's based on me. But like we were talking um, and Dan was saying, you know, yeah, but the movie was written what it was filmed mm -hmm. in, in fall mm -hmm. of 82 and came out. So in if something happened to a band in 84, then there's no way that it happened. Right. But it, it happens. I mean, and it also makes you wonder if it's did they research it or was this just their perspective and they nailed it? You know, <laughs> like they were just trying to have fun with it. I wonder what happened to all the drummers. <laughs> all those poor, unfortunate drummers. Yeah. What did they say? Yeah, like 32 the of them died. or something like that. They go through 32 drummers. Um, yeah. No. accident. <laughs> <laughs> it's no, totally agree with you. And yeah, I mean, that is something that's interesting because they multiple times over in the film reference the fact that it's 1982. Um, I mean, when Drusher is giving Ian the dress down about the the cover of the album and yes. how offensive it is. She's like, it's 1982. So, and that checks out with what you were saying, Dan, that it took, you know, years worth of time for them to edit this together. Um, and doing the research for this, you know, as when I was discussing this with Derek earlier, it's interesting because they had two editors on it. And one of them really comes more from the world of like music editing, which or sound editing, I should mm -hmm. say. Uh, so that made a lot of sense once I came across that information given just you know, kind of the the many different musical numbers in it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've heard some stories. I know some things were, um, from what I've read again, that uh, Nigel, you know, when he does his bit with the violin yes. and his guitar, that that was pulled um, from, I believe, Jimmy Page did something right. similar Right, that's to a Led that. Zeppelin uh -huh. reference, yeah, yeah. But but to your point, I mean, I think uh, you know we haven't even talked about Stonehenge yet. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, the children of Stonehenge! Oh, oh. how they danced! Nobody well, knows who they were, Nigel what they were doing. So innocent and childlike. He's the one that wrote eighteen inches, and you catch that when you've seen the movie. You don't pick up on it the first time you see it, but when you've watched it, you know what's going to happen, and you see him clearly write eighteen inches. You just start laughing before anything ever goes on. So true, and just 
I mean, the way that I, I again, the humor Derek has brought it up a couple times, like the deadpan that like playing it straight when Ian is having his conversation with the amazing Angelica Houston, such an interesting cameo yes. uh, to, to have in the film. And he's like, well, wow, this is this is great. You know, when you actually make the real thing, it's going to be amazing. And she's <laughs> like, what, what are you talking about? This is the real thing. And it just from that. I mean, I love that he does not tell the band so that when it actually starts, you know, descending on stage there, it, it's it's just set up so perfectly. And yes, like you, you know, it's coming, um, but it, it does not detract at all from the actual moment of impact. It's, right. it's hilarious. Right. Um, well, and we get a kick out of the stagehand, the stagehand who has to help <laughs> Nigel get up off the yes. stage as, after he goes backwards because he's stuck. The one who, and same guy who's doing, trying to get Harry Shearer out of the pod and that he's the one trying to do the Stonehenge and he keeps showing up and we keep thinking, wonder if this is somebody famous now, you know? <laughs> Excellent point. I mean, yeah, he is truly the unsung hero of of the film and all the hard work that he does. And yeah, he's now that like we've watched it several times as well, you know, that that does come to mind. I wonder because he always has that cap over his head. He um, reminds me of the young actor in Caddyshack. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's who it, it's not. I don't think it is him, but that's who he, I picture because of the yeah. his body build, his hair, the cap. It, I just go to that the young actor there, but it's not him. Yeah, I mean, it would be kind of around the same age. Yeah, yeah. I maybe you have to do a little bit of digging into that I mean, the, to figure the, out who that is. The help to get uh, Nigel back up when he went for like the power <laughs> rock move. Yeah. Was, <laughs> Was amazing, and again talking about like their their like he's he was playing the whole time. He was, yeah, yeah. He's still yeah. playing while he's down there. Yeah, doesn't, acting doesn't and seem playing. Too bothered by the fact that he can't get up. He's very in the moment. There's a little bit of distress, a little, but then a little bit. A little once, bit. Once the help arrives, he's. I feel like he could have helped out the guy a little bit. He was very focused on playing. <laughs> You but know? it just gets spun around first before they yes. get back up. <laughs> Which, I mean, makes my knees hurt just watching it. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what how he got himself into that configuration to begin with. But uh, it actually, it's kind of a nice little jumping off point because, again, this this character of Nigel and how he's kind of this... Uh, I don't want. I don't want to say dim-witted, but um, you know, kind of this character who maybe isn't thought of as the most intelligent. He has kind of this childlike disposition about him, but then he has these moments with Marty, where you know, for instance, when he's talking to him about his next—is um, it a sonata? What is it that he calls it? His like classical music piece. Oh, the bandana. <laughs> it that- the bandana is that what it's called? Wait, where Ooh, he's um. Playing, you know, playing this really, really beautiful. Playing on the piano, yeah. Something for for oh, Reiner. yeah. He he's playing this oh. this classical piece written in D minor, and they say, yes. "What is that called?" <laughs> it's called "Lick My Love Pump," <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which just brings it right back. But in that moment, because I, when we were watching that scene last night, there's no trick of the camera to my eye. It, no, no, he's really playing. He's really playing. Yeah. yeah. That's what and, makes it kind of extra funny. Well, and I think the thing that I was fascinated with that I read about Christopher Guest this week is he is like the son of an earl mm-hmm. in Britain. And like he, there's something about that. Like he's in line um, for, 
it's something along those lines. He's not a dude. I think it was an Earl, but it's like, oh, so he, this guy is probably, as many comedians are, super intelligent, probably very educated and smart, but is always playing these simple characters, mm -hmm. you know, often idiotic and stuff to downplay who they are. And yet, I didn't we see where he and Michael McKean met, like at some Ivy League school when they were in college? Yeah, they I went think to college said, together. They, they were in college together yeah. and met in the, or, or at least met sometime in the '60s. I yeah. Think, so. so, and we're talking the actual actors, not the characters. Yeah, yeah, right. the, the, yeah. The, the real right. actors. The real actors have go known back each other. That far. Yeah. So you know, we've had all these different discussions now about the idea of how they work together and how the story unfolded through maybe not, you know, pure scripted means. And I read that between the four main gentlemen of the film, they went to the WGA because it was largely improv and they wanted to, they wanted to give credit to everybody who was part of that process. And the WGA was like, no, we're not, we're not giving like a dozen credits to, to <laughs> everybody who, who was part of this movie. And so that's why ultimately just the four of them, uh, guest McKeon, Shear, and Reiner get writing credits. What Derek and I were talking about is how that's interesting because like a very recent contrast to that is Borat. Um, <laughs> they have, yes. uh, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight people, nine, nine people who are all nom like get writing credits, which for, for, <laughs> for this movie, for a lot of films, you see that there are eight writers. You might think, uh -oh, yeah, what, what's going on with this? Normally that would be a real bad sign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Borat is a perfect example of another movie that kind of falls from the legacy of this and, and crediting all those people who did all that improv work. I mean, in a sense, you are sort of writing the movie on the fly as you mm -hmm. go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what I what I think might be an issue for some people, perhaps when they watch Spinal Tap and they've seen it after seeing some of these other things, is that the improv and the comedy is is in in some ways it's understated very much mm -hmm. and over the top at the same time. It's it's a really interesting mix that they that they have because they're all interacting with each other as though this is just all real mm -hmm. for them with these ridiculous situations. But yeah, that that's one of because with Borat obviously is probably the other end of that spectrum where everything is just so crazy. Very over the top. Yeah. 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 And so it's obvious. It's like really obvious that this is like a bit or or something. And except it's, to some of the people that they pulled the wool over. Yeah. yeah. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> except to Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. Oh, oh, yes. Explicable <laughs> reason. <laughs> but oh my gosh. with um like Reiner in particular, when, when he's doing some of these interviews or when he's, you know, when they had the, you know, these, this amp goes up to 11. <laughs> I don't know how he, like, I don't know how many times they must've tried to film that for mm -hmm. him to keep a straight face. Cause I would have cracked up. Yeah. I think about that too. Yeah. How many cuts are there where you all started laughing as you're improving this? I mean, I, I would be awful. They, they would just kick me off the set because <laughs> I would not be. I'm like, with you, Anna. They yeah. kick me off too. And, um, you know, we were watching in the commentary we were watching last night. Um, they were talking about like in the limo scene, 
they they did the scene of them in the back of the limo all chatting and they said they ended up with the first take because that's the most genuine because mm. you really they said you really have to pay attention in that first take to what's being said because you don't know what's coming and so often the first take is what they ended up with because it's so real and genuine as people are interacting with each other versus oh, okay i get where we're going now mm-hmm. so let's do it again you know and um huh. that's interesting to hear about too that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah i get that Um, especially, you know, it is interesting when you have, I mean, especially for something where you're not working off of a script per se, that makes all the sense in the world that like, you don't want it to get stale. You don't want it to seem too, uh, affected, you know, like you want to keep it fresh, Yeah. but I still, even for more traditional type films where you're working off a script, I'm always kind of boggled by the directors who are like, okay, take 67, you know, like, how are you getting a performance out of somebody right. at that point? Um, I mean, from what I've heard, I think Fincher, you know, he's a big, big multiple take <laughs> person, that sort of thing. I mean, I would just be, I mean, Kubrick, I know is infamous. For, Kubrick, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a job. Right? It is a job. It is a job. You meant to have a talent. Rise to the occasion, I suppose. But um but I think that's the I think that's the the magic in it is that you're watching it and it seems authentic and you don't know if that was like the first take yeah. or the sixty seventh take. That's what I think people probably it's easy to discount that. Or if mm-hmm. you if you've like never seen anything, you know, being made or getting filmed, it's it's it just comes off everything sounds like the first mm-hmm. take or feels like the first take, but that's interesting. I, I hadn't, I didn't know that they took that approach with this. That worked particularly well with mm-hmm. the, uh, with the limo. Well, let's talk about Rob Reiner as director. Uh, I'm, I'm really curious from your uh, perspective, Nancy and Dan, like how, had you, well, okay. So this was his first feature film, but over the course of the last 40 years, how have you felt about him as a director and how, how do you approach his work? Well, definitely during the 80s. I mean, I, I was surprised when I looked this up and I saw, oh, this was Rob Reiner's directorial debut. But, you know, going back to when Nancy and I were first really studying movies in the 80s, anytime we saw a movie release that like, oh, this is a Rob Reiner film. OK, that's a reason to go out to the theater and watch it like uh Stand by me uh, oh, yeah. is, a, is a perfect example, and Sleepless in Seattle, Sleepless in Seattle, those kinds of films. Yeah, so um, I I don't know what the last thing Rob Reiner has directed has been because it's probably been a little well, while. But yeah, most recently it's a film called Shock and Awe, which I'm not familiar with, which not I haven't either. seen. No, yeah. Um, but well, and he's another one, just like you know, watching Michael McKean. You come off of the role of Lenny on Laverne and Shirley. Rob Reiner's the same way. He came off the role of Meathead, Meathead. in All in the Family, and that's what <laughs> we—that's how we connected with <laughs> yeah, those two actors. And we're like, really? This is what? What do you think you're doing? And they're like, oh, they're very talented. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> No, absolutely. I mean, boy, did they maybe subvert expectations, uh, you know, in, in not just this film, but what their careers have gone on to become. Right. Um, yeah. And I would say but Reiner in particular, I mean, he's he has great bit part. Like, I, I love his um, smaller role in, for instance, like Sleepless in Seattle. Like, he has great. He, he's a great character actor. Yeah. Um, it's where I learned what tiramisu was, was from <laughs> Sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, I love that movie so much. <laughs> um, but 
I, you know, Derek and I were talking about this and I don't know if people generally recognize kind of the strength of his directing career. I mean, especially the 80s, you know, to to, a great run there. Oh, my goodness. yeah, Yeah, he was a big deal in the 80s. Between and, and and not confined to any particular genre as well. I mean, to go yeah. from Spinal Tap to Sure Thing to Stand by Me to Princess Bride and When Harry Met Sally, Misery. If you could, you know, it, the all time comedy misery, <laughs> the all time comedy misery, <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, and especially Derek, you're. I mean, this is getting a little bit of a sidebar conversation, but I know you're a Stephen King fan. So, would you say that's one of the more successful? depictions of a king work it's been a while since i've seen it but i i have seen it and read the book and i think a lot of uh, king's works that are less out there mm-hmm. where it's it's more grounded in some sense of realism right. so i think that helped with misery i think i think it's a great movie and i think it, it follows the book pretty well so yeah i think it was pretty successful some of his just are so so wild that it's really hard to get them on the screen and do it justice. Yeah. And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, isn't Stand By Me based on a short? It is a short story. Yeah. yeah that was also. So he's worked yes, on a couple. The short yeah. story, The Body, wasn't it? Yeah. Stephen yes. King. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yep, yep. And that's that's probably one of the first Stephen King movies or stories I I watched because it was filmed in the uh, in Brownsville, which is one of the communities oh. that was near where I grew up. And so um, some of the extras were kids from my high school so that was kind of fun wow that is really cool yeah so it's an oregon-based movie so go oregon (laughs) absolutely i i didn't know i mean that is something that comes across really well in the film is uh you know heavy subject matter of course really interesting young friendships that are being explored but i also just like really remember the the scenery you know, because right. they're out in nature for most of it. Oh, and until it's you just, brought it's up just gorgeous. Until you brought up the nature, I thought you could have been talking about Spinal Tap again. <laughs> <laughs> but that's well, so interesting. Yeah, I mean, what a just varied directing career. Uh, right. and, and getting back to Rob Reiner as a director in general, you know, he's so reliable. You see, you don't even have to know what the movie is. You say, oh, it's a Rob Reiner film. Got it. We're going to mm-hmm. go see it. Mm hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like, especially within the 80s, people are going to all the time talk about Spielberg and the hits that he had come out during that era. And that's that's and, fair. And that's fair. <laughs> not, at all, yes. not at all disparaging <laughs> or saying it's not warranted. Um, so he's one... Um, actually, you know, uh, at a one-time one wife of Rob Reiner, Penny Marshall. Right. Um you know, she had her own uh, string of hits as well. So, you know, we have these other directors that I think are known for a certain period of time. And me, I don't I don't know. Maybe I just don't have like enough context for how other people interpret his career. But I I just am kind of amazed that he it, you know, when I go through, uh, you know, kind of a breakdown of the main players and the different projects that they've been in, I usually have to like cull down or weed out the things that aren't as well known. And that's really not the case with him. Like, especially those first dozen, uh, half dozen movies that he did just knocked it out of the park every time. Yeah, well, and you stop and realize he, Carl Reiner was his father and he yeah. grew up in the industry. And, uh, you know, he was around brilliant comedians, you know, the classic comedians. And so 
that is just part of who he is. And he mm-hmm. has learned from them and brought that to his films, whether it's in acting or directing or writing. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful that he, you know, sometimes, you know, it's easy to get a little, get your snark up a little bit about people who have had a, a parent in the industry and, and, you know, maybe had um, an easier way to maneuver into it. But he has certainly proven, you know, just how much he brings to it. I mean, we would, we would, I, I, I would be so sad if there wasn't a spinal tap in the world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Or a Princess Bride, or you know, you know, we haven't even gotten to Dan singing Sex Farm yet. I mean, come on, that's 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 on a future podcast. We'll hold that off. I'm busy working on my uh, rock opera right now, based on the life of uh, Jack the Ripper, called Saucy Jack. (laughs) Saucy Jack, man, it's so good. I I I really wonder, and you know, the way that this movie has kind of infiltrated greater culture. I mean, I really wonder at this point if some people, because Derek and I were having this conversation about, you know, when you just throw away a line like, well, this goes to 11. I mean, that has come up in conversation with people in my life where we're not talking about Spinal Tap. We're talking about whatever. And and that phrase is thrown out. And obviously, we all know what it comes from. But it's like, is it all? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Is it obvious to everybody where it comes from? Um, It it definitely has had an impact that, you know, I guess it's it's okay if not everybody is cognizant of, like, what this movie is and, and what it's brought. Just the very fact that it has the impact. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there are people who are convinced the goes to 11 is from Deadpool. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's okay because it wouldn't have been there without this. I Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I... I'm curious, you know, in looking now over the careers of all these different gentlemen between Reiner and Guest, McKeon and Shearer, is is there a different um, project of theirs that you feel a greater affinity for than Spinal Tap? Or is this kind of what you feel, I don't want to say that they peaked, you know, 37 years ago or whenever <laughs> the movie came out. But like, is this, is this the movie that you feel tugs at the heartstrings the most when it comes to their individual works? Oh boy. Uh, I don't know for, for Christopher Guest and Michael McKeon, I almost have to take the whole body of work, like all okay. those films they've done together. And just going back and kind of honoring that Spinal Tap is really the core Mm-hmm. brilliant start of that but it becomes more brilliant when you watch all their films back to back and realize how different their characters are how each one tackles a different subject and dives into this crazy made-up world that they treat super seriously but it's super hilarious the way mm-hmm. they do it and uh i don't know and don't don't forget you should watch mascots which is on netflix it's the latest film by these guys just came out a few years ago and it's just as funny i need to get that yeah i'm uh because i think that was like 2016 you so haven't it has seen it yet? no i haven't seen it yet I haven't either. Oh, yeah see you've got another treat that's that one. For you. <laughs> treat. yeah um, it's a lot of fun and you know, nancy how about for you one of those things where you know like Spinal Tap is where it all started, but, mm-hmm. you know, Best in Show is set in the uh, dog show world, and mm-hmm. Mighty Wind is set in the folk music world, and For Your Consideration is set in the movie world, and, and they're all 
different yet the same. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to say which is the best. And we're probably, we probably are a little more loyal to Spinal Tap though, because yeah, that's just where it started. It yeah. Yeah. And you know, there's just the start of it. It's just, it's, it's Harry Shearer and Michael McKeon and Christopher Guest and Rob Reiner doesn't keep going with them, but those three are the mm -hmm. foundation and it's really the three of them. Whereas the other movies all start growing, expanding the cast, mm -hmm. but Spinal Tap is at the heart. Those three, they yeah. just carry the movie. So well said. And yeah, that's something actually that I was thinking about earlier in terms of the other films. Um, they definitely have, I mean, I, I, I adore ensemble movies, love them, love them. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to complain about them, but there is something about Spinal Tap where like, yes, you're seeing a lot of different characters kind of move through this world, but you are for the most part following the three main band member band members, and then Marty DeBergi. It stays um, focused pretty yeah, well. It yeah, it stays focused on those guys. Right. And and I do really love that. I think also, you know, if I may, I mean, and, and it's not it's not to be disparaging towards his later works, but because because they do come later and now there's this kind of acknowledgement recognition of the mockumentary, there's a little bit, I think, of self-awareness about it. Right. Um that is absent in a good way from Spinal Tap. I think it kind of, you know, has an innocence and a, and a freshness to it, even though it is the oldest, that I don't kind of pick up on in the same way in the other films. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. I mean, because they were a little more pioneering at the time and, mm -hmm. and there wasn't any expectation of how it would mm -hmm. be received. And they, they treat it so deadly serious, which to mm -hmm. me is what just makes it that much funnier. Mm -hmm. I mean, they did such a great job with the characters that when I see them in one of the other mockumentaries, I'm imagining this musician from Spinal Tap mm -hmm. now in a dog show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So that, right. I mean, that's, that's part of it. So, Yeah. yeah. Well, or if you've seen something, if you're seeing like a, we've been watching some real rock documentaries we've you know mm. on um rush and uh, zz top and even the bgs you know and you, you're watching these and you're wait, waiting for the comedy to hit too because that's <laughs> what we're, we're used to yeah <laughs> you're like well where's the where's the like you know cucumber at the airport security yeah. or exactly. the not being able to get out of your pod <laughs> on <Yeah>. stage yeah. <laughs> no it, it and that's i think the thing that um Ultimately, you know, I love the lines, love the exchanges, super quotable movie. But what they also accomplish is besides just the killer dialogue, these indelible images that I just laugh when I think about them. You know, when I think about <laughs> poor Derek trapped in the pod <laughs> or Nigel can't getting, you know, he can't get out up from out of his like weird position on the ground, you know, all of them awkwardly gyrating towards the camera, uh, <laughs> man, those camera angles, <laughs> those camera angles, um, which, you know, it's interesting because kind of bringing it full circle, uh, going back to what you guys were saying at the beginning in terms of how this film has influenced TV versions of kind of mockumentaries, I was really surprised to learn that the cinematographer on this really his wheelhouse is film. Um, pardon me, his wheelhouse is television. Um, and so I just kind of found that interesting that because it 
yeah, has a cinematic cinematic quality to it. But I I guess, you know, kind of that back and forth with the different scenes and and I don't know, there's something about it that like, okay, that makes sense to me that hmm. that they brought on somebody from the TV world to do this. Yeah, and I and I think of the commentary again they were talking about how the cinematographer they got and again I've forgotten his name, but that he came from uh, the world of, of, of doing documentaries too. So he naturally just had that style of darting around the room and getting the right angle. And, you know, while the characters were going, he would just get the right documentary style angle on, on what was needed. I don't know if, if I'm pronouncing his name right, but I think it was Peter Smokler. Yeah. Who uh, also worked on a lot of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yes, yeah, still working. Which, still not a mockumentary. this very day. But a lot of, a lot of improv, I yeah. think, is going on that Yep, show. yep. Huh. Um, also shot for Parks and Recreation. So yeah. there you go. Oh, huh. very yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. So it, you guys, this has been just so fun yeah, to you. talk to you about this movie. Um I I just thank you so much for giving your time to us, your insights. It's something that's always just so fun to talk about with our guests, a, a film that is much beloved to them and how it's like in some ways like impacted their lives and the way that they view movies and the way that they view cinema. So thank you so much for just hanging with us today. Yeah. Well, yeah. when are you going to come up to the Oregon wine country and, and uh, hang out with us? Hopefully in time for the next film festival. I would say for sure, for sure, for sure, by the time of the next film festival. And then, you know, like Nancy was saying, maybe summertime, maybe, uh, maybe we'll be able to get up there a little bit earlier than I, than I thought for the next festival, but, um, would absolutely adore that. And thank you, Dan, because I wanted to, yeah, great segue. (laughs) I wanted to, uh, ask you guys if you wanted to share with our listeners What's in store for the next McMinnville Short Film Festival? Yeah, so the next film festival will be our 11th. We're turning it up to 11. And it will be February 10th through the 13th, 2022. We've got our call for submissions open now. We're getting film submitted. It's going to be great and so excited. And um, we just learned so much this year, having a hybrid festival. And um, Mm -hmm. Anna, just the support you and the filmmakers gave us this year of doing something so different with the virtual festival, I should say. Um, we're going to do hybrid next year, but just trying to do something from in-person to virtual was just really something. And and just the love and support we got, and the, it's just fantastic. So we are so stoked to be planning 2022 and, and, and be going forward and having so many things to look forward to. And um, so, yeah, if you're, if you're a filmmaker, short films, 20 minutes or less, Look for us on Film Freeway, McMinnville mm-hmm. Short Film Festival. And like Anna was saying, we are really working at trying to do something this summer as an encore because those the films we showed in February were just amazing, just mm-hmm. so brilliant. And we'd love to try to do an encore and get them in front of people um, in a drive-in um, mm-hmm. scenario. So, Maybe a film called She Had It Coming would be yeah, a Yeah, you guys. Show. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that was a grand jury nominated by the, by the film. Very talented, uh, uh, let's yeah. see. Yeah. But very brilliant writer who oh. has a very promising career. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. M- mutual self-promotion here. That's That's important. <laughs> You guys, that honestly, that's that's so so kind of you to speak that way about the film. I really appreciate it. But 
you know, right now I'm addressing the listeners because this is who Nancy and Dan are. Um, you know, Nancy, I know you just said that like you felt like you got so much support from the filmmakers, but really that that came first from you guys. And considering just the the difficulty of the circumstances, like we still I know that now there's that light at the end of the tunnel and and hopefully things are beginning to normalize. But at the time of the festival, we were still really much in the thick of it. And and for you to have to pivot to something that was just not, you know, in your wheelhouse, not the thing that you had been doing for the last 10 years for the festival, you did it so beautifully and so successfully and just made everyone included feel, feel so included, feel like they were right there with you guys. Yeah. And for being, you know, many hundreds of miles apart from you, I felt like I was right there. And, and I just, no. you know... I'm so thankful. And so for anybody out there who is, you know, beginning to think about the film festival circuit has a short that they want to share with the world could not honestly more highly recommend McMinnville. It, it, it's just, it's really special. It's a really special festival that you guys throw. I know a lot of festivals, all the festivals were dealing with the same set of circumstances and mm-hmm. in, in whatever way they could to, to try to offer the best experience. But from what I saw, you guys really stood out mm-hmm. with with the mm-hmm. amount of effort that you put into it, and yep. so it's much appreciated. Yeah. Well, thank you. That means that yeah. means a lot. You know, we just it's um, we run an art gallery by day, but by night we do the film festival, and we just love geeking out and and being mm-hmm. movie nerds with the filmmakers and and making them the spotlight of the festival. It's just so much fun and. It broke our hearts. We couldn't actually meet in person, but we will. We will someday Absolutely. meet in person, yeah. and um, we expect all of you to come back. So, yeah. Absolutely. What awesome champions of the arts you guys are between the art <laughs> gallery and the film festival. That's just so cool. And so we say the film festival taught us how to deal with artists, you know, working <laughs> with filmmakers. So. <laughs> oh, well, I bet it did. <laughs> yes. It's like herding cats. Yeah, it's like herding cats. <laughs> But totally, we love totally yes. get that. Totally get that. And for people who would love to follow McMinnville, um, I mean, you guys are available. You have your Facebook and your Instagram and Twitter, correct? Right, right. We're uh, Mac Film Fest, MAC Film Fest on Instagram and Twitter, and McMinnville Film Fest on Facebook. Um, and we have a YouTube channel, and we're oh, going to be launching cool. an brand new website here in the next week, which we're super excited about. So yeah. And then of course on film freeway, um, yes. Minville short film festival. Yeah. And just out of curiosity, are you guys still uh, looking for entries for like the logo of your next one? Has that closed? Yes. Yes. That's yes. Still so okay. um, what, that's how we tie the film and art world together here is uh, we have a call to artists. So we try to find an artist who can, uh, Thai uh, film and um, wine country together. And then we use that art in our marketing and promotional materials. And then um, in our art gallery in February, you will get a show of that art plus your cool. other art as an artist. We'll do a one month show while the film festival is going on that month. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. Oh my goodness, that is so cool! Yeah, so awesome. even if you're not necessarily a filmmaker, if you are an artist, if if you just love to create, like give it a shot. You know, submit submit your look and see what happens with it. Yeah, the yeah. deadline is May fifteenth. It can be any oh, medium. Perfect. It just has to tie. 
film and wine together um, in a creative way. And you just email info at mcminnvillefilmfest.org once you have your art ready. Perfect. Well, Nancy and Dan, thank you again. This has truly been our pleasure and our honor to have you on the show. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's thank been so, you much, so fun. much. We loved it. Oh, boy. So, Nancy and Dan, thank you so much again for being on the show. We had so much fun and uh, just a yes, thank you. good time. All right. Derek. Uh-huh. Not Derek Smalls, but Derek Dinky. <laughs> yeah. Would you watch this film again? So. Oh, I, you're thinking about your words. <laughs> <laughs> I know how much you love this movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. if this movie was on and you were around to watch it, mm-hmm. I'll sit down and watch it with you because I get so much more fun out of it seeing how much fun you get out of it. But if I'm just sitting around and this movie comes up and you're not around, I might glance around the room real quick <laughs> and then just change it. Okay. Because I, I like certain moments of it. Sure. And I definitely like appreciate what it has, like what it's become, what it like kind of opened the door for, for mm-hmm. other things down the road creatively so i i like it there's so much deadpan stuff that after a while i'm like "Mm, okay i just love it i know i I, it does not get old for me uh i really enjoy it and it's one of those things where it's like i know i saw it really young i don't know how i don't know where but it is just made an impression that's great i mean how I wonder how young were you when you saw it? And were you like, why did that guy have a, have a cucumber in his pants? And your dad was like, <laughs> we're not talking about that. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's funny because, yes, there are a lot of like adult things. Why are they zooming in on their faces? What's going on? Oh, what's, it's like raging their, herpes. Raging on their- herpes. I mean, I just love, I, I, whatever that film does is exactly like what tickles my funny bone. Yeah. It, no, it it's just I love it. So so I'm a big yes. If it's on, I will watch it. Um and it puts me in a good mood. I mean, kinda like what you were saying for the Blues Brothers. Yeah. It just makes you happy. This I, movie just makes me happy. I definitely understand. I get it. Cool. Good. Yeah, we're on the same page. <laughs> All right. Uh call to action. This one, I mean, I guess where my mind goes is just like thinking of fan experiences with bands okay uh i mean that is part of it um i mean it's always not what the band thinks like when they're in the hotel waiting for ian to sort out the whole room mishap and then david starts hearing girls screaming he's like oh here they come and then it's like (laughs) not at all for them um i'm just curious you know if anybody has like a fun story about meeting a musician or just like something of that nature um that would be my call to action. I'm going to say, let us know if you've ever been in a band and experienced That's a good one. Yes. Any, any of these things that, uh, that they went through. I, I was very briefly in like a little like sure bar type of local bar yeah. club bar thing. And uh, no, we did not. You never had groupies? We did not, no. <laughs> <laughs> we had a guy jump up on the stage and hit me and then I hit him with my trumpet and knocked him off the stage. That was it. Wow. That's the story. Yeah. Well, he, yeah, he kind of like, he attacked you. He made my trumpet hit my lip and that's not, ouch. It's not okay. That's not okay. I mean, where were your security guards? Oh, we were playing at a church. (laughs) 
That's that's a whole other story. <laughs> that's a whole other story. Okay, so if you do want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so through Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. And it's the same handle for all three. It is at 80s Montage Pod, and 80s is 80S. It is. Okay, sneak peek, two weeks. What is it? What's it going to be? What is it? I like want to sing this song, but I don't want to sing this song because I'm not a singer. But oh. I feel like if I sing the song, you'll know the movie. Um, hmm. What if I try to speak it? Love, I get so lost sometimes. Uh, is it? No, I don't know. <laughs> Say anything. Peter oh, Gabriel. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was not putting that together. Big, but that's, big yeah. song in school. That's a great. Big, big slow song for us yeah. when we were in school. <laughs> If you were like, I'm not going to tell you what the next movie is, but I'm going to go downstairs and I'm going to announce it with a boom box held over my head. <laughs> then I'd be like, definitely. I could have just, yeah, you should have done something more like just boom, just said boom box. And then, then I, you probably would have gotten it. Then I would have gotten it. I'd have been like, oh, we're doing breaking. <laughs> Different boom box. <laughs> but yeah, I'm excited. This is a fun one. I mean, I feel like, gosh, um, have we really done anything that's like on the romantic side since princess bride i don't think so i don't think so i mean like yeah elements of stuff but not when but not something where like really the forefront was like the the romantic relationship yeah i mean there was a little bit of it in blood sport but it really wasn't the focus (laughs) (laughs) okay well on that note um thank you so much for hanging with us and uh, we will see you again in two weeks for say anything we'll dial it up to 11 (laughs)